This is DeadAirRadio.org. It's a Grateful Dead radio program that features the official releases from the Grateful Dead. From time to time, we get an interview, and uh, we like to upload that to our website and get it up as a podcast. Feel free to subscribe to the podcast. That way, you can get these interviews delivered to your handy-dandy Smarty Pants phone. The month of April is Autism Acceptance Month, and one of the most hardcore Grateful Dead fans who has written numerous essays and liner notes for the official releases, uh, he also wrote a New York Times bestseller. It's called Nero Tribes, The Legacy of Autism and the Future of Neurodiversity. Here we chatted up with Steve Silberman, who talks a little bit about autism, and he also makes these fascinating connections to the Grateful Dead and autism. My name is Steve Silberman, and I confess, I lead a double life. Most of the people who know me in the world know me as the author of a New York Times bestselling history of autism called Neurotribes, The Legacy of Autism and the Future of Neurodiversity. That book came out in 2015 and translated in about 15 different languages. Now, as for the other set of people who know the name Steve Silberman, they speak the language of the Grateful Dead. He wrote a book about the band as well. That came out in the early 90s along with another deadhead, David Shank. Called Skeleton Key, a dictionary for deadheads. And then went on to co-produced the box set So Many Roads. He's also written many liner notes for several Grateful Dead releases, solo releases from Jerry Garcia, plus other liner notes he's provided for Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Crosby and Nash, and David Crosby. I have this sort of interestingly weird, which is probably suitable for me, life that is half devoted to science writing, and that's the part that pays the rent, and half devoted to Grateful Dead liner note writing, which certainly does not pay the rent, but is fun and allows me to listen to a lot of music that I loved seeing when I was a kid. Now, this might surprise some people, but there are connections of autism in the Grateful Dead Society. I first learned about autism in the Grateful Dead when I was reading Peter Connor's book, Cornell 77, The Music, The Myth, and The Magnificence of the Grateful Dead's Concert at Barton Hall. And I felt like the idea of doing a whole book about a single show was a little batty, too. You know, it was just, it seemed really extreme. So Connor's book is a lot more than just a review of the 5877 show. So he talks a little bit more about tape trading, Deadheads, other legendary Grateful Dead shows. And he also discusses the band Soundman, the, the early archivist and financial backer of the Grateful Dead. That's Owsley Stanley, also known as Bear. A few quotes from Silberman mentions the autistic traits of Bear. Owsley, of course, not only made better acid than Sandoz Pharmaceuticals in Switzerland, the guys who invented LSD. He also invented the concepts behind the wall of sound. He also invented basically dead taping because he was the one who said that every show should be taped. And he really invented, I would say, modern concert amplification. Because when the dead first appeared, everybody, even the Beatles, used these so-called voice of the theater speaker horns that were just, like, good for blasting, but not, not much dynamic range or detail. 
And Owsley replaced it with really a stereo system that where you'd get a 3D image in space of the band playing if you closed your eyes. accomplishments, whether it was concert amplification or the science of LSD, those possible autistic traits helped with his incredible work. Silverman says in Connor's book, and he also mentioned it again with me, that if Bear wasn't diagnosed as autistic, that he definitely had autistic traits, and it served the band and the hippie culture very well. While talking about the traits of an autistic individual, it can be difficult because every case is different with autism. Autistic people are more different from each other than non-autistic people are. And that is certainly true because you have such a broad range of abilities, capabilities, challenges, things that are difficult in the autism community. It's, in a way, it's broader than the non-autistic community. Now, I was really fascinated by an interview featuring Silberman's experience at an autistic retreat. Yeah, it was called Autreat because it was designed by autistic people for autistic people. And most autism conferences are designed by non-autistic people, i.e. parents, you know, or clinicians or researchers or whatever. And so they actually don't even know necessarily how to make the environment comfortable for autistic people. One of the reasons why I was so impressed with the interview was about how they changed the environment so it was so accommodating, but I couldn't help but see a connection to the parking lot scene that you would find at a Grateful Dead show and Silberman's experience at Autreat. It was really a wonderful opportunity to see autistic people just be comfortable with themselves. And autistic people are known for having very profound special interests. A special interest is basically something you love so much that, you know, you devote a lot of your life's energy to it. So people at this conference, instead of seeing special interests as pathological, like, oh, they're overly obsessed with gaming or, you know, it's like people were invited to bring what they love. So like if they were to Star Trek, some guy brought a little portable video player so that he could watch his favorite episodes of Star Trek and uh, share them with other people. And so it was a very autistic friendly environment and diving deeper into that idea of having a profound interest and tying it back into the Grateful Dead well we'd have to bring up tapes and collecting Grateful Dead shows Silberman talks about an experience that he had with a particular taper that he met back in the 80s I was invited over to the apartment of somebody who allegedly had more tapes than the vault I go to his apartment. It was in a very bland high-rise tower in Emeryville. And hardly anybody in the Bay Area, particularly deadheads, like lives in bland high-rise towers. But this guy did, and every wall was covered with racks of cassettes. Every wall. Like, there was nothing else going on, really, in the apartment besides these racks of cassettes. And he had, like, you know, five Nakamichi decks you know, going all day and night, and he was copying tapes. And, you know, he didn't really talk about anything but tapes. 
And at that time, the knowledge about autism was very limited. It only described a very narrow set of people, and it only applied to children. So teens and adults weren't diagnosed with autism. However, a new diagnosis called Asperger's syndrome was added to the Bible of psychiatry. So autism was broadened into a spectrum. Well, looking back at that guy, who was very nice and, you know, generous with his tapes, he had Asperger's syndrome. I would bet on it. And he was, believe me, not the only person like that I ever met. Silverman connects some more dots with autism back to the Grateful Dead. If anybody ever asked me one of the most autistic books ever written, I would say Dead Base. <laughs> Dead Base is so autistic. Deadairradio.org. Well, we actually talked with Stu Nixon, co-author of the Dead Base series. You can listen to that interview over at the website. It predominantly was based on Grateful Dead concerts with all the set lists and then analysis of the data of the concerts showing every time it was played and what song was played before it and after it and how many times the song was played, how many times the band played all the different venues, cities, and states, and locations. Reviews by deadheads who were at the shows, and um, a lot of photographs, all of the Garcia and Weir set lists, as Garcia bass and Weir bass, and added new sections for the bands that followed on after that with Grateful Dead members. Having met uh, the editors of Dead Base, you know, I still would say that. Autistic traits don't just stop with the studies of the Grateful Dead. Even physical traits can have that Grateful Dead vibe. One of the things that some autistic people do is to move in rhythmical fashion. It's known as stimming or self-stimulation. Well, it's basically like space dancing in a way, or, you know, it can be. Going back to the retreat for autistic individuals, Steve shares a uh, particular memory that really stood out to him. The most beautiful thing I saw at Audrey, really, was this couple who had been married at the previous Audrey. They were both autistic, and they were holding hands and rocking back and forth and stimming together, and it was just a beautiful thing to watch. Autism can also have a Grateful Dead vibe with the mindsets, morals, and beliefs. For one thing, I've noticed that a lot of autistic people are very passionate about social justice. And they're very disturbed if they think people are lying or being hypocritical or treating people unfairly. Now, I'm speaking in very broad general terms. There's some autistic people who lie themselves, you know, all the time. But not very many of them. And... I don't think it's any accident that two of the leaders of 
the global youth movement in Europe to mobilize against climate change, two of them are autistic teenagers. Steve said autism is a developmental condition that can express itself in a very wide variety of ways. Some autistic people have difficulty reading body language, tone of voice, or facial expressions. The classic way to describe autism is to say that people who have it have difficulty in reciprocal social interactions. I would say that that's generally true. Some autistic people cannot speak but can communicate by typing on a keyboard. Other autistic people are extremely chatty and have amazing vocabulary. There are all kinds of complexities to autism, and that's why it is being referred to as a wide spectrum. Some autistic people are are geniuses. Other autistic people are intellectually disabled. Some autistic people can get by with not much daily support. Others require like 24-7 constant care. So it's a very, very broad spectrum of humanity. Because autism is classified as a spectrum, attempting to define a diagnosis of autism can be really difficult. However, autism is generally referred to as a syndrome. And what that means in medicine is that a bunch of factors occur together and that you can't take out one factor and still call it a syndrome. Therefore, there are common themes with autistic people. The crucial commonalities to get an autism diagnosis are things like difficulty in social interactions. A lot of autistic people aren't so comfortable with change, like particularly if it's unanticipated. You don't want to spring a big surprise on your autistic friend. (laughs) You know, it's generally better to prepare them. You know, they say repetitive behavior, but I think you could probably accuse most deadheads of having repetitive behavior. (laughs) You know, um, a lot of things that don't seem pathological, you know, and that are just human traits get interpreted as pathological once you make them part of a diagnosis. To hear more about autism from Steve Silberman, in 2015, he gave a TED Talk, which is available online and has over a million and a half views. If you Google like Steve Silberman, TED Autism, it'll come up. And that's like a 14 minute version (laughs) of my book. course, for more information, Steve Silverman's book is titled Neurotribes, The Legacy of Autism and the Future of Neurodiversity. What you get if you buy Neurotribes is a history of 80 years of society's changing attitudes towards autism and autistic people. You know, it doesn't necessarily sound like beach reading, you know, but uh, I tried to make it really engaging.
autism has a long history of controversy and misinformation. With the help of celebrities and major autism organizations, they gravitated towards this panic about an alleged autism epidemic. Or so they thought. The needs and awareness about autism were brought into the forefront, but in an unfortunate way. The only problem is that it, it gave them the wrong kind of attention. Because, for instance, if you believe that there's an autism epidemic among vaccinated children, then what you're not seeing is the huge numbers of autistic adults, some of whom were even born before the MMR vaccine was invented, who are unrecognized and struggling out there in the community with no support. They don't even have a diagnosis. And believe it or not, even though America has been arguing for now you know, more than 20 years about whether or not vaccines cause autism, we still have never even done a national survey of how many autistic people are out there. A few years ago, the UK did a survey to find undiagnosed autistic adults. What he found was that the incidence of autism among adults was exactly the same as the incidence of autism among children. If there was this quote-unquote tsunami of autism, which is one of the words that's constantly used by the anti-vaccine fear mongers, if there was a tsunami of autism, you would expect that the rate would be higher among children, but it was not. And so we still need to do that research in America. Steve Silverman, author of Neurotribes, The Legacy of Autism and the Future of Neurodiversity. There's a lot of social context to the changing attitudes towards autism. And that's what my book is about.